0: Hello, friends. Welcome or welcome back. This is the Overview Effect with James Perrin. This is my podcast. This is where I talk to influential thinkers, environmentalists, business people, not-for-profit leaders about nature and community, but you know, not just in the context of who they are and what they've done, but what I'm really interested in is how they see the world. You know, what is their perspective on the world and how does that influence not just what they do but why they do it. This is all about stepping back and viewing the world and, and and getting into the space of big picture thinking. So I'm really glad you're here. I really hope you enjoy the conversation. I'd like to kick us off by acknowledging that this podcast is recorded on Bunjilung land. I want to pay my deep Respect and gratitude to the Bunjilong community, uh, particularly to the elders, and not, not just to the Bunjilong community, but to all Indigenous community groups all around the world. And just pay my respects and gratitude for this beautiful land on which this is recorded. So here we are. This is episode six. Uh, this episode in particular was recorded in a little cottage in the hinterland overlooking Byron. It's as my guest today had. Um, ducked up from Sydney for a short visit and I was able to uh, just completely intrude on his holiday. Uh, But I think that kind of reflects the nature of my guest. He's just a really good man, quite frankly. He's a really good man. He is a well-known and well-traveled environmental advocate. He's someone who has seen firsthand the issues of pollution and environmental degradation, particularly in our oceans. Um, and he's someone who spent the better part of his working life educating and inspiring people to care, you know, not just why it matters to them, but just to truly care about our world and nature. He co founded an organization called Take Three for the Sea, which has grown into an absolute movement, helping to bring the issue of plastic pollution in our oceans to the forefront of society's consciousness. And in his newest foray, he is the co-founder of Ocean Impact Organization which is a startup accelerator helping businesses to positively impact our oceans. And you'll learn much more about Ocean Impact Organization in this conversation. Ocean Impact Organization has its own podcast as well called the Ocean Impact Podcast, so I highly recommend you check that out. Um, And it has just, uh, I think today, as this podcast goes live, closed applications to its first ever pitch fest where it's seeking up and coming businesses to partner with, which is super exciting. In this conversation we talk about talking my guest about his love of and connection to nature from a very early age and how that really shaped him Um, we talk about why storytelling and building that connection to nature is so important we reflect on the state of the world and the craziness that 2020 has been and possibly how that's maybe reframing people's perceptions or how this potentially is a pivotal moment in time. And of course, we talk about Ocean Impact Organisation and their work and what they're doing and why. Of course, there's so much more. This was really a beautiful conversation and I really hope you enjoy it. Please enjoy this conversation with none other than Tim Silverwood. Yeah, that's not awkward, but I'm comfortable leaning in. <laughs> cool, thanks, man. Sweet. Should we do it? Yeah. Cool. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Mate, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you taking time on your couple of days up to Byron. I... Uh, at the drop of a hat, only a couple of days' notice we've been able to swing it, so I really appreciate it. yeah I
1: was saying before it's probably a little bit of a uh compassionate gesture given that i I run a podcast now as well, and um I know when you want a guess and you've got a window you you go for it, so I'm happy
0: to be here yeah. mate. <laughs> awesome um yeah it's it's a it's really cool because um starting a podcast gives as the as the host as you would know gives you that socially acceptable way of just inviting yourself into someone's life so (laughs) so while you're here I've just invited myself into your life and it's really cool to connect and the uh doubling down effect is that we're actually in my friend's house so you've invited yourself into my friend's house to get into my life for a a little chat you know what's gonna be awesome is that hopefully he can listen to this podcast and be like wow that was recorded in my house when I wasn't there (laughs) very cool (laughs) um so the, the show is called The Overview Effect, mm. which is, really takes inspiration from this term that, or this experience that astronauts have. Um, they They shoot off into space, they look back on Earth for the first time from the spaceship, and they describe this really profound experience of viewing Earth from space, looking back on Earth, seeing our home as this special, fragile ball and ecosystem. And many of them come back to Earth Profoundly connected to nature and community, and have an altered perspective on the way they view the world. And I just love that concept. Um, and I wanted to—I start all my conversations there. And I wanted to ask you: Have you had any experiences or periods of time in your life that have really shaped the way you view the world and changed the way you interact with it?
1: Yeah, there's lots of experiences that um, I can align with that feeling. Obviously, I can imagine what it must be like for. Those astronauts, and obviously the images that we see, those famous images like Earthrise. You can, you can only imagine how that would literally take your breath away if you were to see that with your own two eyes. Um, but I mean, my earliest memory that that um, I started to ponder when that question was posed was probably being like a seven or eight year old boy, and we had moved from suburbia um, a little, a little bit, admittedly. To my reluctance, um, yeah, we moved into the bush. So, twenty-five acres of pretty wild bush on the New South Wales Central Coast. We ended up living in um, in caravans and a hut for almost three years while we built um, a house. But what was so profound about that was that the wild bush um, was my was my playground. So I didn't have the friends that I could go and ride my skateboard with of an afternoon. I had the forest. Mm. And so I just go down into this little gully. And once I entered this darkness underneath the rainforest canopy, it was like this was my little universe. And I started just to really understand that this world, you know, it didn't need me. It was just functioning uh, all in its own independence. But amongst that independent ecosystem was this incredible detail. And um, I just spent so much time down there and just really start to piece together that this world that we live on is not just about this one species that we put at the centre of things, this human species. It's about the interconnectedness of these millions of other species. So that was definitely one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think surfing and, and being in the ocean and that beautiful dance between fear and um, ecstasy, uh, spirituality <laughs> that you experience when you're in the ocean is another one for yeah. me. Can't live without that. And then I think probably the, the other one like that is just what really stemmed me, I'd already done my environmental studies, but I hadn't found my true north and it was traveling. And it was particularly in places like India, um, all throughout Indonesia and Southeast Asia, where I sort of realized that these, you know, seven and a half billion people that we know share this pale blue marble we call planet earth that they all behave differently and so going and seeing yes. and experiencing those with a backpack was just so important for me and i you know if i'm ever talking to someone who wants a bit of mentoring and advice um a young person it's
0: go travel which is a bit hard yes. right now unfortunately yeah, yeah. but you've got to travel you've got to <laughs> see the world i um do you know what i love about particularly what what you were talking about in that first story of growing up and your connection and connection in nature and and wilderness and one of the reasons why i really love that question and the stories that it bring out the stories that it brings out in the guests is that through for me there's something really powerful in the storytelling and feeling that connection to nature and i think you touched on this idea that we're not separate from it i think in in a lot of um the media or in a lot of the the even like the sustainability landscape you know we've got similar backgrounds i studied environmental engineering you studied resource management we're kind of told, told to think of environment and nature in terms of you know what resources it provides to us you know even the phrase the environment comes from this it, it's almost phrased like it's separate you know the environment is out there and different to us um and and even even terms like ecosystem services that try to quantify the value of a, you know, the monetary value of a rainforest or or of a wetland, mm. for me, that's coming from a place of um, what can we get out of it? You know, what can we take from it? If you try to say, oh, this rainforest is worth $100 million because it provides these ecosystem services, I think there's an underlying belief there that if it wasn't worth $100 million, we'd be happy to chop it down. Mm. You know, and, and, and I went fully down that road with my studies for a long time and I think there's a real power in, in storytelling and connecting people to nature in the way that you've just done because um, when you come from that place of kind of love and connection to nature, you want to protect it and be a custodian of it because you love it, not because you want to get something out of it, mm. you know. Um, and And I just wanted to kind of, I think that's something that I guess in the last 10 years you've... Um you've been a storyteller through Take 3 and a lot of the media and um you know documentaries and other things that you've appeared on how powerful do you feel storytelling and the role that that plays in connecting people to nature
1: Yeah I think it's it's fundamental and it's um it's quite you know abominable that we've we've let the narrative shift away from that that truth and that premise and you know it's it's wonderful to to see an emergence. And if I've been able to play a role in in bringing the ocean into people's lives and and their narrative, then that's a good thing. But we've still got so, so far to go. And I was naturally leaning towards Indigenous perspectives and Indigenous understanding, Indigenous knowledge that, you know, yes, again, we're we're making positive gains in that space in in 2020. Um, But there's just so, so much to be done. Mm. Um, I've been really amazed, to be honest, throughout the COVID crisis, so the start of 2020 as more and more celebrities and and people who've got perspective and opinions to share have taken to, to social platforms and communications channels. And I must admit this notion of connectedness to nature and the other side of that being, well, what we're feeling now is uh, the enormity of the um, disconnectedness, it's become quite prolific. So this this narrative is really ramping up mm. in mainstream media, in big-name celebrities where this idea of needing to be more connected or needing to not – we are connected but needing to acknowledge the connection. So hopefully that can transform into – um, a really new and exciting path out of this crisis and mm. to this new economy that we uh, sort of have available if we grab this opportunity with both hands.
0: Yeah, it really does feel like um, that. That now is a really pivotal moment in time, doesn't it? I mean, we've yeah. with, with not just with all the external things that have happened, like school strikes and um you know droughts and bushfires and pandemics and all those sorts of things but the the mindset i feel like there's i don't know if it's just my lens but the more people i talk to seem to be feeling that as well that there is a real mindset shift that the old cold hard ways of consumerism and you know massive centralized production and the hard edges of capitalism are are not the way forward and we do need to transition. And we don't know exactly what that looks like, but the conversation is very much ramping up around that space.
1: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, a a crisis like this, a massive economic downturn is going to spell a lot of pain and a lot of pressure for a lot of people, but it also gives us a sort of new baseline, a new framework to work up from. So I'm not going to be naive to think that, you know, we can just sort of clean our hands now and be like, okay, it's going to get it's going to get better. We're going to have to work really, really hard, but I do think it is it is the time for this. And mm. I think back to a lot of those, you know, great thought leaders and researchers who, you know, have really formed my perspectives and opinions throughout my academic and environmental activism sort of career. And it always felt like 2020 was when things were going to get really, like mm. the pressure was going to build. And here we are. I mean, 2020 started with bushfires, and we're midway through, and we're dealing with something that certainly our generation and generation before us have never seen. Mm. So,
0: you know, game on. <laughs> um, do you feel in, in your career, and um, I guess you've had the last 10 years with Take Three, and you've, you've, um, been involved in environmentalism and 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 all sorts of uh, other activities over the last over your career do you feel like over that time looking back you have seen things get better or have things got worse in some ways
1: it's a bit of a marriage of both i can isolate the issue of plastic pollution obviously and be amazed that like I saw, obviously, the issue go from being a fringe concern to a mainstream one, mm. which is which is crazy. I yeah. mean, it's crazy to think about those first moments when I stood up on a stage and, you know, put my my name and my reputation and all my associated anxieties on the line to say, hey, everyone, I think there's something bad going on. Would you listen to me?
0: And would you join me in trying to do something about it? Like, that was a big thing. Mm. Um, it's crazy how fast we move, isn't it? Because to mm. think 10 years ago that plastic pollution wasn't at the forefront of everyone's mind is is absurd because it's so in yeah. our consciousness now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So in that
1: regard, you know, a lot is possible in a relatively short time. Because even up until probably 2016, the issue of plastic pollution hadn't broken through to the mainstream, it was really probably in those two to three years between 2016 and, you know, obviously the present, 2018, 2019, where it really burst through. Mm. Um, And in many ways that's why, and I will probably get to this question but I might jump the gun, but, Mm. you know, why I've I've chosen to to sort of leave that specific trajectory, that 10-year journey of um, co-founding and leading Take Three for the Sea to do something else. It's kind of like it's a bit of a sort of acknowledgement of, well, that particular piece of work has done, I've done my best for that. But in the wake of this mainstream awareness of plastic pollution, I became really concerned and a little bit disillusioned that we weren't seeing the forest for the trees. There was all these other pressures that we were placing on the ocean Mm. that were sort of almost getting shoved aside because we were looking so much at the plastic problem. Mm. And that's why with my new venture, It's boldly trying to address this raft of other ocean challenges. Mm. It's to say, you know, the mission statement, the vision statement is to create an abundant and sustainable ocean. The ocean has always been, or at least since evolution peaked and the ocean was thriving before we industrialized, the ocean has always been abundant and sustainable. It's been a frontier that we haven't been able to pierce and rupture But we have, and we've done it in a very, very short time frame. Mm. And we need to reverse that because we live on planet ocean. We love to call it planet Earth, but it's the ocean which is at the centre of our entire planetary function. Mm. And so if we can't learn as species to look through that blue lens of the ocean in the decisions that we make, then we're only shortening the tenure that we're going to have on this planet.
0: Yeah. I love the way that you – we'll jump straight into Io in a minute, but I love the way that you just reflected for me – on on your your past journey with take three seems like there was a huge awareness and education piece and I think that's part of the reason why take three was so successful and has been so successful is that it's um, super well there's no barrier to entry for people to be involved. you know they don't have to wait for a group to come in and do a beach cleanup or you know to pay money to a charity. They can just literally go and do it on their own on the beach. So there's low barrier to entry and it's really pro- proactive. And involving people, it's not um, it's take three for the sea. It's not shame three people for using plastic. Right? <laughs> it's really positive and proactive. And I think through that journey, it's raised a lot of awareness and education. And now it's really interesting. You reflect on this this moment in your life. It's like okay, I've done what I've done through raising awareness and education, and now moving to proactive action. Mm. Right. <laughs> So that's really interesting. So can you tell us a little bit more about Ocean Impact Organisation, what it is exactly and, um, yeah, why have you started it now and what are you trying to achieve?
1: Yeah, it's definitely – I'm already getting a sense that being proactive is harder. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's, a huge, it's a huge mission. So I said the vision before. The mission is to create an abundant and sustainable ocean through inspiration, innovation, leadership, and good business. And the good business is the key. So essentially, OIOs, uh, we exist to help people start, grow, and invest in businesses that positively impact the ocean. So how are we going to do that? We're looking at the the startup space. So who are the entrepreneurs, the big thinkers, the business people who care about the power of business to do good, mm. and how can we create what we define as an ecosystem to support those people and those startups, those businesses. So you see a lot of these startup accelerators and incubators all around the world, and a lot of them tend to sort of focus on a particular industry. Um, So we're trying to say, well, how about we look at the ocean as an industry? It's the, it's the benefactor of the work that we do collectively to make this ecosystem thrive. Mm. So, We're, um, we're only new. We launched in mid February 2020, but after 18 months of development, it's myself and a co-founder, Nick Schiarelli, um, who is a really interesting guy. He's a chartered accountant, um, ex-chief financial officer, has helped startups go from a bunch of people sitting on milk crates to being listed for $200 million on the ASX. He knows business really well. He's a disillusioned capitalist. And I'm the deep green Enviro guy who is testing the hypothesis whether capitalism uh, can work, (laughs) which, I mean, people are going to have a lot of perspectives and opinions on that. But I just think that the core of it is this idea of, well, there are already businesses that exist to do good. Why don't we have more of them? And why aren't we giving all the tools and support that we can to support people who want to make business good for the planet and for people. it's yeah. And that's where I think in those early days of when I was sort of dating Nick, you know, um, <laughs> trying to figure out whether this is the guy I wanted to go and invest potentially, you know, a 10-year career journey with, it was all this stuff that was coming up like, um, wow, well, okay, like there's no reason why business can't be good for the planet. Yeah. If we just change some of the inputs and outputs this can work. Yep. So I'm excited by it. I think you would be too. Totally.
0: Totally. And there's there's coming back to kind of this moment in time, I feel like there's more than ever, there's this groundswell of public support. You know, consumers, people want to be involved in supporting good businesses just in the same way they want to be involved in a beach cleanup on their own, They, you know, in, in their own way. They want to be able to support good businesses. But also I feel like, and I'm not By any means, someone who's played in the impact investment space. Um, But I've got some friends that do. And I feel like that has just gained massive momentum. I feel like investors are also now going, do you know what? My goal isn't just to make as much money as I can before I die. My goal is to achieve a whole bunch of other outcomes as well. Do you find that that's a really pivotal point or or, or a really um, important aspect of why you guys are starting now? Because there's that kind of demand from the investor side too.
1: Yeah, that was one of the first things that Nick identified. Um, So he took a redundancy from an an old job and he treated um, this new foray into what his big um, ambitions would be as a job and he sat down and he started researching and talking to people and that was the things he discovered. He said that there was essentially this investment community who wanted to invest in um, projects and businesses that were doing good and had that clear Uh, return on investment both in a financial and an impact sense and then we went to the other end of the spectrum and found all the entrepreneurs and startups. they were not getting the support that they needed and they were also really, really um, sort of sceptical about the investment community and this, I think we are in a bit of a grey zone where impact investment is flourishing but there's still no real clarity around Mm. it and so with those two sort of factors combined, it really started to form... This, um, this strong vision that there was a, a role for an organization like OIO. So, yeah, absolutely. There's, and anyone who, you know, whether you're a, a consumer and just spending a few dollars a day and you want that money to be invested into something which does good um, or whether you've got a massive portfolio of investments and you want a portion of those
0: or a great deal of those to be doing good. So yeah. there's a massive opportunity there. Yeah, cool. How are you finding the um the jump from the charitable space to the business sector?
1: I'm loving it in the sense that I'm I'm wearing it on my sleeve, like I don't you know, I'm I'm an environmentalist first and foremost and the the you know, what will benefit from my work at the end of the day is the planet and people who are currently being disadvantaged by the way we treat it. So I don't have anything to prove here, but what I do have is a heck of a lot to learn. So, mm. you know, doing the podcast, um, the Ocean Impact podcast, is just one of many ways that I'm going on a journey of discovery with Nick and with our team, um, but I'm loving it. Mm. I'm absolutely loving it. I think I've also, which I haven't spoken about a lot yet, but I've, I've got a lot to say about how hard we make, um, how hard we make it for charities and the whole non for profit model mm. is really quite uh, fractured mm-hmm. um, to put it simply i cannot I cannot believe that we we think that we can just cause all this harm in the world to people and the planet and then expect charities and civil societies to rise up to try and counter yes and improve the problems whilst the perpetrators just carry on, maybe give a little bit of tokenistic gesture here and there, yeah. and we somehow think that's going to
0: be okay. Yeah, and 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 that giving a causing harm throughout the year and then giving a one-off charity at, the, at tax time is going to offset your guilt or offset your negative impact It's crazy. It's crazy,
1: but that's kind of what the the foundations are currently built off. So yeah, I've got a lot to say, and will no doubt over the next few years. About just how hard we make it for charities to do good. Mm. Um, you know, t- doing t- building Take Three and leading it was hard. It was really hard. So I'm hoping that you know, getting into the the business side of things should theoretically make things easier because it's such it's a model that works,
0: mm. right? <laughs> yeah, and I guess from a um, if you're a business and you're selling a product that people want, then then you don't have to spend a huge amount of time and energy essentially trying to sell yourself. Right I used to I used to be a street fundraiser for an environmental organization. So I'd spend my entire working week, nine to five, on the streets trying to convince money to hand trying to convince people to hand me over their money and credit card details because, you know, it's a good environmental charity. Um but if you've just got a product that people want that is aspirational, the network is done for you. People will buy into it because they want it and it's cool and they want to help, right? And so there's something really powerful in that, in just that that having that, I guess, that engine. Mm. Whereas the charitable sector probably spends a huge amount of its time just trying to keep itself afloat.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you, all you want to do is get out there and do your greatest work, but your priorities are just constantly... Reverting back to keeping the lights on and keeping your team, you know, fed, <laughs> it's yeah. pretty hard. Not that starting a startup <laughs> in a global
0: pandemic is any
1: easier, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah, or a startup that's trying to start startups. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are some of the what are some of the the things on the horizon for Ocean Impact Organisation?
1: Yeah, look, we'll um, potentially by the time this goes to air, we'll have already launched our first big campaign um so essentially we want to accelerate 100 startups in five years which is a lot so we've got to get down to business so as a reaction to the COVID crisis we've um developed a campaign called the ocean impact pitch fest it's entirely virtual and essentially we're asking for startups and entrepreneurs who have you know, an active business, it's a registered business, it's already got some runs on the board, but you need help. Mm. So you will apply to the Ocean Impact Pitch Fest. We've got an incredible judging panel, um, people all around the world who are specialists from you know, impact investing to ocean science to marketing and communications, incredible judging panel, amazing range of partners who are offering up support for the finalists and the winners. And the idea being it will be a seven-week application period uh, we'll shortlist it down to 10. There'll be um, a few winners, uh, sorry, a few finalists and a winner, and then we get down to business. We cool. start matchmaking these services to those businesses. We line up uh, amazing personal mentors and we start your acceleration journey. So, this is um, exciting. This is like when the rubber hits the road yeah. for OIO, and we just can't wait to get out there. So, if you do know and you're listening to this, um, anyone who's an entrepreneur working on businesses that can positively impact the ocean. And there's six different themes here. There's everything from ocean health, so reducing plastic pollution or coming up with new types of plastic packaging or reprocessing and circular economy, ocean health. Ocean harvesting is all about how can we improve aquaculture and the way that we fish and harvest from the sea because currently that's incredibly mm. unsustainable. We even go into ocean energy, so there's... in amazing untapped renewable energy opportunities in the ocean. So anyone working in that space, transportation, like decarbonizing maritime is huge. Um, There's inspiration, so people that are increasing ocean literacy through any creative means, virtual reality, mixed reality, all that stuff. And then New Frontiers, I just saw something on socials recently about – uh, one of the Cousteaus creating an underwater research lab in the Bahamas, like it's literally <laughs> something out of Aquanauts or whatever. Like it's, and this is like that. Who's got the big moonshot ideas of what we can do to the ocean to create, um, you know, a win-win for the planet and for um,
0: investors? Cool. So under those themes, it doesn't mean that you have to have something that's, you know, a physical object out there in the ocean. Like it could be anything. Anything. Terrestrial, anything that just has some sort of link to positively impact. Absolutely. So
1: we expect a lot of uh, uh, applications, a lot of startups that are working on terrestrial activities like agriculture, for example, where mm. nutrient and sediment runoff can be massive problems for the ocean, for the reef. Look at the Great Barrier Reef. So, yeah, your startup, your idea can happen a long way from salt water. As long as you can illustrate that with its success, it will create a positive impact on the ocean, then you're in our ecosystem.
0: Yeah. I love how broad and big picture the scope is, right? You said that it's it's not just a certain sector like ag tech or fintech or something. Like you're just going anything that positively positively impacts ocean, we're on board with that.
1: Yeah, and I mean that's that's our greatest challenge and our biggest opportunity. Um, Nick and I are very aware that this idea of being industry and tech agnostic um, it, it it centers our vision and our purpose. But, of course, as OIO evolves over the next few years, we will want to partner with certain industry representatives and maybe make a dedicated accelerator um, program for people working on plastic pollution or Mm. working on aquaculture or working on energy because that bespoke attention is going to help those businesses do their best work. But to start with, to put that stake in the ground about what we're here to do, it's really important for us that we say the ocean is suffering Mm. from a broad range of challenges we recognize that and we're looking for people who care about trying to help. Awesome. Sounds good. It does sound good, doesn't it? it sounds, I love talking it's about it. Um, it's, <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's awesome. Um, I guess given that you've got a really broad focus and, you know, you've spent the best part of your career traveling and having a broad perspective on a lot of environmental issues – one question that I'd love to post to you is if you can imagine yourself as, you know, environment minister for a day, God forbid, you enter politics. Well, no, that would be great, actually, if you could enter politics. But, um, you know, if you were given a role to influence decision makers in this country, whether it be at a boardroom or policy makers or whatever, and it was around what? Do, what are some of the things that we need to do as a society to positively impact environment, what are some of the things that you'd call out?
1: Yeah. Um the first re- reaction is to think oh I want to do this 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 and this and when I was thinking about this question I was like you know what it's um what's broken about politics is that it seems deficient in in values which is a you know bold and heart-wrenching thing to say so where I let myself was that well if I had that power and ability I'd want to instill those environmental values that drive you and drive me and drive many of the people that are tuning in. So how could we establish something within that political construct where you had to go out and experience nature? Because, you know, if if the experiences that shaped you and shaped me were available and instilled in our politicians, then it would yeah. it would be such a remarkably different world. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I don't know whether that that exists anywhere. I mean, the simple fact that we we put environment ministers in office that don't have environmental credentials just shits me. Mm. Um, (laughs) You know, you don't see a treasurer. (laughs) You don't see an environmentalist getting the the job of a treasurer, but you'll see an economist getting the job of an environment minister. And it's like we need to have those values and that definition of leadership where people with the skills and knowledge who listen to the science – get to actually have a bold
0: um, say in the decisions that were made. Yeah. I I love that answer. I thought I thought maybe coming into this conversation you'd be like, okay, I want to implement a plastic tax and I want to do like all these micro – but you're right, those are, would just be Band-Aid solutions to the bigger problem, which is what we talked about at the start, which is that disconnection from nature and its importance, right? And so how can we instill in a society that connection? It's almost like um, – For me, it's almost like uh, having a kid, or like looking after your nan or something. You know, you don't do that because they're going to provide some sort of service to you. You look after them because you love them. Mm. And we need to instill that same sentiment with people with nature. I don't want to look after, protect the ocean because it provides all this, you know, value to our economy. I want to look after it because I care about it and I love it and I want to be a custodian of it during my short time on this planet. Mm. And I don't know what the answer is, um, but you're right. We need to have people and leaders that are talking from that point of view and trying to instill those values in our our culture.
1: And the reason I think it is a bit heartbreaking is that I'm sure a lot of the people that we're – looking at and thinking about like a lot of them probably do have some values that would align with ours but again the the construct of that system at the moment is so it's so ruptured it's so broken and so I just I look forward to and hopefully this next decade is a chance for a new type of leadership to emerge from Mm -hmm. the political spectrum and to your point before I mean I naturally am a very very focused and determined person to create positive change during my short stay on planet ocean and so if politics is the card that I can play to achieve the greatest goal then I will but I won't in its current form yeah. like while it's broken I won't I would not do that so it needs to it needs to change a lot before it would welcome people like myself and many others
0: to get yeah. in there and and do their best work yeah Awesome well, maybe we can um, maybe we can put our heads together and just like you guys are kind of like starting ocean impact organization to try to change the way in which businesses operate maybe we need to start an organization that is like an alternative to current politics and <laughs> changes the way that the political landscape operates I'm sure there's some great people <laughs> and thinkers out there
1: who've, who've already got some some headway on that um, yeah it's just and like I said before, this is a time of great disruption. It's a it's a big pause in this, this, you know, this snowball felt like it was just rushing off down the hill and nothing was going to stop it and it hasn't been stopped yet but it's definitely been – it's slowed down. Yeah. And so we've got a really remarkable opportunity in this next few years to do a lot of reshaping and remoulding and I'm excited about that. Yeah,
0: me too. I really feel like um... – <sighs> we we're at a point where a lot of people are questioning what's important to them and maybe what we're told through society and education and you know getting a career and getting the white picket fence is um, is not the only way and in fact that's led a lot of people to not be completely fulfilled and happy and so a lot of people are taking this moment either consciously or unconsciously to pause and go hang on a minute what is truly important to me um, and and that narrative, as you said, is starting to shift. I don't know. I'm, I, like I said, I don't think it's just my lens. I'm. I'm actually really optimistic that that is starting to shift.
1: Yeah. The only caveat being, I suppose we do need to be really aware of the sort of the privilege, and that there's a lot of people, in a lot of communities that are really, you know, they they're, they're suffering a lot through this this crisis. And so, in all those decisions that we're making, we need to make sure we're. We're lifting up those that are really struggling and, and really disadvantaged mm. whilst we come from the top to try and find that new middle ground that we can all start to
0: coexist within. Yeah, really important. There's a, yeah, there's a risk of looking at elitist or being elitist, right, and mm. choosing products and a lifestyle that is only available to the affluent. Um, whereas I think, I mean, you talked about Indigenous before. Um, if you just think about that, how that, it's interesting how indigenous values have permeated through this time in 2020 as well at the same time as all these environmental and values and lockdown which has caused us to pause and rethink it's really interesting how all of these things have come together um and i like i look at here we are in the byron hinterland and we've got this beautiful you know green hinterland but one one thing that really rocks me is that none of this all these trees and everything you see around here is they're all none of it's old growth. They were all cut down 250 years ago, Mm. whereas the Indigenous were able to live on this land for tens of thousands of years and not leave a trace. And it's Mm. really such a small sliver in history that we've created such a massive change. So for Mm. me, it's really interesting that all of these things are coming to a head in society right now. Yeah, it's a really really rich conversation. And of course, there can't be
1: environmental justice without social justice. And until we really um you know sort of rectify and you know redirect our energy and attention towards our indigenous story on this land that we just you know we just abuse and like you just identify we just take so much for granted about this land without acknowledging it's it's incredible story so we've got still got a lot of work to do there but we definitely feel like we are we're making some good progress
0: at the moment totally so, what can what can people do on an individual level, the listener? Um, what what are some words of advice? Whether they want to be live more consciously and sustainably, whether they want to support organisations that are trying to do the right thing, have you got a few words of wisdom?
1: Yeah, a little bit of just around, like, keep on doing what you're doing because I do think we are making progress. So, you know, keep doing the. Resistance to, to buy into obscene consumerism and single-use plastic is a, is a perfect example of that. Keep doing those wonderful gestures of giving back to Planet Ocean by taking three or 3,000 whatever your bag is. Um, keep remembering that you've got a remarkable sphere of influence that surrounds you and people, no matter who you are, look to you and are... Uh, either impressed or under-impressed by what it is that you do. So acknowledge your sphere of influence and try and amplify it for good. But, of course, the the vision for Ocean Impact Organisation is all about supporting those businesses that want to do good and, even better, want to be regenerative and restorative businesses. So look out for them and support those businesses. Look out for your B Corp stamps and make sure you interrogate those businesses that might be greenwashing or bluewashing over an issue, mm. um, and yeah, just follow follow the journey of of this new new paradigm shift on how we can reshape the relationship that we have with the planet,
0: um, you know, particularly through the power of, of good business. Awesome, man! I reckon we'll we'll rein it in there, but I'm sure we will cross paths again. Uh, I'd love to do this again sometime. Um, again, I just want to say thanks for not just, you know, taking some time out of your Byron holiday to, to catch up, but also for just, you know, being brave and bold in what you're doing, both what you've done, putting yourself out there for the last 10 or so years and now kind of bravely stepping into a new world. It's really awesome to see people doing stuff that you're doing. So thank you. Thanks, James. And, um, yeah, you can obviously find me online at timsilverwood or
1: oceanimpact.org is where you'll find us on socials. Awesome.
0: Good one, man. Thanks. Thank you. That was great. Cool. Yeah, it's great. Thanks, man. It's good. It's really good. I'm really enjoying where...